felt like people were being a lot nicer to me once I was more conventionally attractive. And then in college years and later on, when I did gain some more weight back, I was instantly like, okay, I don't know where all this confidence went. Goodbye diets and hello, sustainable health. I'm Elise, dietitian and nutritionist based in the Silicon Valley. I believe that we all deserve an effortless relationship with food without obsession. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode. Today, I have the absolute pleasure of welcoming Crystal and Jisoo from the Eat Your Crust podcast. So I first stumbled upon this podcast when I was feeling so in this episode, you'll be able to hear about our experiences growing up in different parts of the Bay, what it's like being in the Silicon Valley and how we're all trying to just figure things out. So I'm so excited to have you two here. And I love the name of your podcast, Eat Your Crust. So first things first, do you guys actually like eating the crust? <laughs> um, I like pizza crust a lot. Bread crust? Not bad. Not bad. Yeah. <laughs> I think I realized recently I'm more picky about my pizza crusts. I used to kind of out of principle, like eat all the crusts on my pizza. But now I'm like, I think the crunchy, crispy crusts tend to taste a little bit better than the more doughy ones. <gasps> I like the doughy ones. Mm. Oh, <laughs> then we can split our crusts if that's not gross. <laughs> I also like the chewy doughy crust. And Crystal, what is the pizza like right now in New York now Honestly, that you're there? it's less of the like doughy crusts, more thin pizzas here. But luckily, the, th- the crust still has like a decent chew to it. If you get fresh ones, it's like a little bit chewy, not too thick. And if you get reheated ones, you get a nice crunch on it. So Jisoo would like the reheated ones probably. Oh, <laughs> I do like some. I even mm. like cold pizza. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. You will have all of the cold pizza then, Jisoo. It's all you. Well, I would love to hear more about who you two are, your backgrounds, how you ended up doing what you do now, whether it's your career or yeah. So I'll start. My name is Jisoo. Currently, I work as a planning manager for the international world in a big beauty skincare company in San Francisco. I've pretty much grown up in the Bay Area my whole life, although I spent the first three, four years of my life in Korea. And Uh, Right now, a lot of my interests do lie in, of course, podcasting and Eat Your Crest podcast, but also reading books about the Asian American heritage and kind of exploring that side as well. Since my background in college, I was a sociology major, so I always love to nerd out about that kind of stuff. Yeah, so I'm Crystal, and I was actually born and half-raised in Canada. I lived there for 10 years before moving to the Bay Area where I grew up for the rest, second half of my life. And I went to UC San Diego and that's where Jisoo and I met. And yeah, now I'm a graphic designer, always had a bit of an affinity towards doing more creative stuff. I feel like STEM just kind of scared me. So I was like, let me just move away from that in whichever direction possible. And then, yeah, after like having such a strong friendship with Jisoo, we just talked a lot about Asian American topics and and things floating around the community um and i was thinking about like what are some fun side projects that i could do post college i did study a little bit of audio engineering in college so i was like you know what maybe podcast could be a viable project and when i brought the idea up to jisoo 
the more we talked about it, the more excited we were getting each other about it. So Jisoo was like, you know what? I'd be down to like host the podcast with you. And thank God she did because she's helped keep me accountable. And I feel like our working personalities match really well. She's like the organized like to-do list person. And I'm kind of like running around just throwing ideas, seeing whatever sticks on the wall. So yeah, that's kind of how the podcast started. What a lovely organic start. And I know you two love diving into all things, the experience of growing up Asian American and the intersection with all of these other areas. So what was each of your experiences like growing up in such different places yeah, I think, and backgrounds? Uh, anytime any sort of topic comes up related to this on our personal podcast, it's always a really cool discussion since I grew up in a really, really homogenous, what you would call a bubble area in the Bay. And of course, the Bay Area is very, pretty big, um, I would say, but the specific city I grew up is in Cupertino. So it kind of has that like Silicon Valley image. But Crystal also grew up in Canada, which is a completely sort of different environment from me. So we love to kind of discuss like what the, uh, what the differences are. But I would say growing up in the Bay, I kind of thought like even San Francisco, Oakland, were all going to be really similar to Cupertino. And it wasn't until I moved outside of Cupertino to go to school in San Diego um, where I was like, okay, I'm meeting all these people. Um, they look and act like me, but they just have completely different values from me and they grew up in such different environments. So it was definitely a really interesting experience to learn about that, um, and try to like break free from that bubble mindset a little bit. Yeah. I think growing up in Canada, um, I was surrounded by a lot of white people in my town. There were maybe like only a handful of Asian like classmates that I would see on a day-to-day basis. I think in my grade, there was probably like two other people and then maybe three other ones who are like scattered through other grades. And to me, that was just very normal, but it kind of like brought certain experiences that you wouldn't get if you were in a more homogenous community. So things like wanting to fit in with these white people and like not really knowing about how to be proud of your own culture and like handling that difference. So when I actually moved to the Bay Area, everyone's, I mean, there's so many Asians there, right? And I literally turned to my parents and I was like, do we move to China? Like, like what's going on here? Like there, I just was not used to seeing so many Asians in a place that wasn't Asia. So I was like, oh my God, like, what is this? And they like speak English to me. You know, it was like an alien experience almost. But luckily, because um, we're, we were all Asian and it was like easier to find things that were relatable and like seeing people flaunt their culture, basically, it took a bit of adjustment, but it didn't take long to get used to it and feel so much more comfortable about my like cultural background and ethnicity. Yeah, I remember similar to you, Crystal, coming to college, I felt like it was like a social study experiment of like, oh my God, these people, like this is a new world. I'm observing how people interact coming from a a high school very similar to yours. Growing up, how did you two view being Asian and how did that change? Well, I feel like my answer might be different from both of you. So I guess I'll start. I think my view of being Asian was 
as you might imagine, sort of on a microscopic level. I'm Korean-American, spent the first four years in Korea, as I mentioned, and being an only child at home, that was like the only language we spoke, the only food we ate. I would spend hours and hours each week watching Korean television with my parents. And a lot of my friends naturally happened to be the other Korean-Americans at my school. And even the part of town that I lived in was pretty Korean. Within the Bay Area, it's not as common to live in an area like that, since I think there's bigger Chinese population and Vietnamese population, but our area was pretty Korean. And I remember thinking like, the downside is definitely a little bit of alienation that I maybe felt or imposed on myself from other Asian Americans who didn't have the same exact cultural background as me. And understanding a little bit more about the Asian American experience, going to college and meeting people who were, you know, different Asian Americans or even interacting with Korean Americans from different parts of states or different uh, parts of the U.S. was definitely kind of a big change. And I think a lot of my Asian American like journey is kind of leaning into the American side and maybe not pulling away from my Korean American side, but understanding how it's not just half Korean, half American. It's like Asian American diaspora is a completely different world to understand. So that was kind of like the biggest learning point that I experienced. That's such a good point. So going back to like my time in Canada, I don't think I was necessarily thinking of terms like, oh, I'm Asian and these people are white or just not Asian. It was more like, oh, I'm different from them. I'm something else. Um, Mm -hmm. I think I feel like a lot of people that I've spoken to who've had similar experiences growing up in like a not super Asian community, they all remember like a point in time where they kind of just look at themselves in the mirror and go like, yeah, I'm different. Like I'm not them, you know, there's just a lot of like small things that kind of define these moments as well. For me, like food was something that affected this because you know when you're young you get lunches packed by your parents and you bring it to school and my parents being immigrants they all they know is like Chinese food right so I'm like bringing Chinese food and then I'm like oh crap what I'm bringing is so different from what everyone else brings this is like not okay so go back home ask my parents like can we start I don't know just feed me some white people food or whatever right there's this uh scene in fresh off the boat where the kid brings the mom to like Costco, I think it was, and they just stand in front of the like grocery part. And he's like, all right, these are the things that I can allow you to bring me to school. And I was like, dude, I had a very similar experience. I was like, you can't like send me with this. You can't send me with that. I need to fit in and blend in. But then of course, once I came to the Bay, fitting in was different because people were bringing like their ethnic foods to eat and stuff at school and it was really weird for me because I had to start to kind of unlearn the judgment of that I'd be like oh these people are eating food that I know and then I was like and no one cares like no one judges them for that and for a really long time I was still very shy about it so I was just like dude just send me with like lunch money and I'll just buy lunch from the school and I'll like, you know, we'll never have to show anyone we're Asian pretty much. Yeah. Over the years, as I mentioned earlier, it just, I started getting more comfortable about it. Started to like learn how to be less whitewashed also in a sense. 
Yeah, I remember that same thing too. I would end up bringing bagels to school every day and feeling so hungry after because it was just a bagel. My biggest gripe though is like for some reason, there are never any microwaves (laughs) in like elementary schools or high schools. Like bringing Asian food is a nightmare because you're like, my rice is hard. The meat is cold. Like what am I supposed to do with this? So yeah, I totally know. It's just funny to me that you mentioned the microwave thing. I think my mom caught on to me like, leaving cold rice in the bento box every time I took you know took it back home because I was like mom the rice gets cold so then by like early years of high school I was going off with a lunch bag of like four thermoses and there's like miyokug in one of the thermoses rice in the other like uh, any sort of marinated meat in one of them so it was always kind of nice to have hot lunch food but I think food in our house was One, a way for us to kind of connect as a family and also back to our heritage. Every weeknight, every weekend, we would always sit down as family and eat dinner together and either talk about our day or watch some sort of TV. And I just remember thinking like meals were such a big symbol for us. Anytime I had something good happen to me, we would always celebrate it with a nice meal. But, you know, if something happened to me that I was sad about or maybe, you know, upset or torn about... Uh, My mom would also make me some nice snacks. So in some ways it was a plus because it's a really nice way to connect with someone and making food isn't easy. It's very time consuming, especially for my parents who both uh, had full nine to fives. So I knew there was a lot of love and care that went into those meals. But I think the downside of it is now when I feel emotions, I do sort of turn to food. And I think it's because it's just not as easy to hash out emotions with family members, especially when there might be some sort of language barrier. And that's even coming from someone who I feel relatively confident in my Korean skills, but some things just don't translate well. Knowing that that was kind of how we sorted through emotions as a family, I think it is sort of a habit that I fall back on now in my adulthood. I was just having this conversation with my therapist last week and she asked me, what were the best memories that you could recall as a kid with your family? I ended up in tears because I was like, it was only ever with Mm. food. It was like dinners or like birthdays or meals. And it was just like, I think similar to you, it's like my family only knew how to care through food. And now as an adult, it's like, great. There's actual vocabulary to talk about feelings. What do I do with this now? I think it like starts off so innocent too. And it really does take so much time, but Some funny ways I see it now is anytime we do like a birthday dinner or, you know, we want to have some friends over, I always have this urge to like make vats and like pots full of food, which, you know, is just so funny. It's like a nice thing for sure. But when you're down in the dumps, it does kind of creep out a little bit. Yeah, my boyfriend actually, um, he is what, third generation Korean American and his family did not show love through food. And so when I cook for him, I'm like, how does this taste? Is this good? What do you think? Tell me all the words. And he was like, oh, it's good. And I was like, no, give me more. And he was like, Elise, I don't care about food that much. Let's do other things. And I'm like, what do you mean? This is my one avenue to show you love. And so like, I'm like showing this characteristic as an adult. This is definitely coming from my family. (laughs) 
I know, GC, you mentioned that you're working in the beauty industry. So segueing into that, I'm wondering, how did you two kind of navigate through beauty standards as you were growing up? I think the first thing that comes to mind is I always leaned a little bit more into the Korean culture, as I mentioned earlier. And back in the day, back in when Girls' Generation was wearing colored skinny jeans, I was like, this is all the rage. So every time I would go back to Korea, I would come back with like a fresh haircut. And I remember I got those straight bangs that just go all across your forehead. And it's like a curtain of hair because it was so in. And I bought these like colored contact lenses. And this was back in eighth grade. So being different is like a crime almost at that point. And The other people at my school who are also Asian American, but probably not Korean American or not, you know, as big into K-pop as I was, they were like, what do you have on your head? Like, what do you have on your eyes? And I was like, guys, this is the pinnacle of beauty in Korea. Okay, you guys just, you know, you're not up to up to date on this. So I remember um, I actually had like an after wave when I did sort of get poked fun at where I was like, maybe I'm being too Korean, which now I'm like, that's not even a thing. Like you can kind of choose and build out your own beauty standards. But as like an insecure teen, I was like, okay, now I'm going to get side bangs to fit in with (laughs) y'all. I also kind of had that thought before because I would visit China a lot, Um, especially when I was younger, we had a little more time. So we would try to go uh, in the summers and It's just so different, like the fashion, especially at that time, the fashion between Asia and the States. Ultimately, probably more of the beauty standards thing that was happening with me was like family members or like even family friends kind of commenting on like weight and like being pale and, you know, all of those like classic Asian features that people look for. I used to swim when I was young. And whenever I would like come home from swim practice, my mom would be like, oh, so I have a brother too. She'd be like, oh, my two like tan kids, like you guys need to, you know, don't forget to wear sunscreen and all of that stuff. Like don't get too tan. There's actually this like term. uh, I kind of forget what the actual like Chinese words were, but it kind of translate into like little dirt ball, I guess. So my mom would like, comment on that usually I'll get comments especially post-college where it's like oh I think you've like gained some weight or like you know or if it's like oh I think you got skinnier it's like obviously in a happier tone and you're like okay I guess like what do I do with this Yeah, I have so many patients who have never not manipulated their food because they want it to be smaller. So from adolescence into their adulthood, they've never really known what their body would have been had they just Mm -hmm. let it be. And so I think about those people and it's so hard because they don't, they're so scared of their body changing to this day. There's so much fear about just letting your body settle where it's meant to settle. So yeah, it's just the messages that we get don't, don't help. That brings me to a really fun question, which is when you guys were kids and maybe over the stages of your life, what gave you confidence? Like, what did you feel? I think what gave me a lot of confidence sort of fluctuated over the years. So I think when I was younger, I kind of leaned into that, like, I'm a gifted student, whatever. And I think that kind of rhetoric kind of quickly falls off because a lot of people are smart kids, but it takes a lot more than uh, your natural ability or even like a normal work ethic to really be successful and thrive. Um, But I did have a sort of interesting stint where in 
senior, junior year of high school, I lost a lot of weight. And then a lot of my confidence quickly turned from whatever I was holding on to before to being like this, you know, skinnier or, you know, more fit kind of person. So then that was a really tough time for me because I think it was such a quick sort of transition. And the thing I noticed was I felt like people were being a lot nicer to me once I was more conventionally attractive. And then in college years and later on, when I did gain some more weight back, I was instantly like, okay, I don't know where all this confidence went. So then I think the last like four years after college in my adulthood, I've been trying to understand what makes me feel proud of myself. Um, And I think I'm sort of grateful. I'm grateful in the sense that I feel confident and happy about my looks. Maybe it's not perfectly to the standard that I have inside my head, but it's good enough. Um, And now that I have sort of removed myself from, you know, what went on in high school, I feel like I am proud of my personality and also my professional career and my hobbies like reading and podcasting. Like these things bring me so much joy. Um, And it feels more natural now. Like I won't have a horrible day if I feel like I don't look well um, or if I feel like my outfit isn't flattering when I go outside, which takes a lot of the pressure off. I know my listeners are going to ask you or think (laughs) in their head, how did you get to that point? Because so many people are stuck there where it's like, well, so many people treat me differently one way or the other with my body. So how did you value other things and get over that hump? Ooh, I think- One of the biggest ones was surrounding myself with people who kind of saw me for who I was. Um, And I won't say that it was a fast transition, but I think one part was kind of knowing who said comments that made me feel insecure and either telling them these comments might hurt my feelings. Can you, can we try to avoid talking about it at least when I'm there? or um, you know, going out and looking for maybe new sets of friends so that my energy isn't just focused on you know, the same number of people all the time. And what I realized was half of it was the other people, but maybe more than half of it was also myself. Um, I think when I was acting insecure, it probably also is very obvious that I am insecure. Um, so then when I started going to therapy and really opening up to my therapist about things that I wouldn't even have had the courage to like write in my journal about. Um, I was able to come to terms with things that I could change and couldn't change about myself. Um, One of the things that I learned was like, my body isn't going to change overnight. Um, So if I'm constantly chasing like an ideal body, then I'm just going to feel like shit for the next like six months, um, which is not ideal. So therapy for sure helped and sort of a mindset shift as well. Huge. That acceptance piece or just coming to terms with that and surrounding yourself with the right positive people. Oh God, it's my turn. (laughs) I don't really know what I if there was anything in particular that I was confident about when I was younger when I was in Canada the community that I was in was not like super competitive in schooling the way that the Bay Area can be so my parents though kind of had that mindset it's like oh you gotta like study hard and do all that stuff so I did have like pretty good grades way back in the day and I think that gave me a certain level of confidence but then when I came to the Bay 
I was like, oh my God, people here are like way smarter than me. So I kind of lost that for a bit. It forced me to focus on other things. I guess the biggest problem at the time was I had no friends anymore. So I just like really put in a lot of energy to try and put myself out there, make friends with people. I'm like, hey, well, if I'm stupid, at least I can have cool friends, you know? So I think seeing myself succeed in a way that I accepted as success um, kind of gave a little bit of a boost where it's like, oh yeah, I was able to get thrown into this new environment and make new friends and feel comfortable with the friends that I did make and adapt to the situation like relatively well. I actually had to switch schools, school districts again into like when I was going into junior high. And so I kind of had to do that all over again, but it was helpful because I was like, okay, well, I successfully did it when I first moved here. So now I hope I can do it again with certain level of success. So it worked out well. And Maybe this is not the healthiest thing to do, but I think I just kind of like avoided the things that I knew would maybe cause too much stress on me. So for one thing I mentioned earlier, like STEM stuff kind of scares me. So in school, I purposely like chose classes that I felt like I would enjoy more or just like not have to be too stressed about. And I think that helped a lot. So, you know, some things that I did in high school was like yearbook, which was one of the things that helped me, you know, eventually go into graphic design. And I chose it because I knew that it was something that I would enjoy. I probably didn't realize that in the moment as clearly as I did um, later in college towards the second half. I was like, okay, I'm finished all my boring GEs and now I'm actually taking classes that interest me and I can choose to take even more classes that I feel like I actually want to learn about. And then I think just understanding myself helped me gain some confidence where it's like, okay, well, why should I always care about what other people are doing? Like, I don't have to be doing what they're doing. That's not going to bring me happiness. I know what will bring me happiness and I should just do that. Um, and yeah, it's, mm. it sounds easier than it is. Um, I think, I mean, even now I still struggle with it sometimes where it's like, oh, well, if everyone's doing this, then maybe I should too. But it's like, if you just know deep inside that something is going to make you happy, why would you deny yourself that? Right. That's so wise. And it takes a lot of self-awareness to have that and that be your guiding compass. What are some of your quirks, maybe being a child of immigrants or being just living the the life you've led so far? What are some of your food quirks, life quirks? I feel like I try to stay as aware as possible about the immigrant experience and how it affects other communities. Every time I go to like a bookstore or something and I see a new launch, especially maybe someone who uh, is debuting with the novel um, or may not be as famous or like topping the lists yet, then I try to pick up their book. So then I just have a stack of books at home and hopefully I can read them all. But I think I try to support as much as possible. And I noticed this in a lot of my friends too, which I really love. And I think it's a really heartwarming way to kind of support yourself by also supporting people and uplifting people around you in your community. And that always makes me feel so warm and fuzzy inside. Oh, 
being a child of immigrants, pretty standard story of like, you know, your parents come to America and they're relatively poor and, you know, like they're building up their finances um, with what they can. So as I have been like getting older and just reflecting on the past more, there are certain things that you might not have connected the dots about when you're younger but then looking back now you're like oh yeah we probably did this because we were like so focused on saving money and you know all those kinds of details so I think now that I'm older and like you know have a stable job and am able to provide for my family in some ways it just really makes me happy to like take my parents out to eat or like introduce new foods to them, even if it's like something that might be pricier because I know that they wouldn't pay for that themselves. But I'm like, I would be willing to do this for you. So I hope that like you can, you know, join me and eat these this good food. I remember like going to the farmer's market and I was like, I'm going to get my mom some like farmer's market eggs. And I don't think she just ever splurged on those type of eggs for herself. And I'm like, I feel like an adult today. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. (laughs) My mom is actually visiting New York uh, next week. And I was calling her earlier today and I was like, would you be down to like eat these kinds of foods? Like, it's okay if it's like not Asian food. Like, what if I took you to a really nice restaurant? Are you comfortable with that? And she was like, um, yeah sure like (laughs) so I was like okay cool 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 let me just plan all this so yeah it's definitely like always very rewarding to feel like you can give back to your parents it is so sweet but it's wild how much I think we as millennials eat out compared to how much they used to Mm -hmm. cook oh my god they cooked every single my parents cooked every single meal at home I don't know how they do it the energy that they had for it but god bless (laughs) Well, it was lovely having you guys and chatting about this stuff. I know sometimes we don't, I don't get to talk about this enough. So I'm glad we took this time to talk this over. And with that, where can everyone find you, follow you, connect with you guys? Well, thanks so much again, Elise, for having us. This was awesome. We have social media, Instagram at eatyourcrustpod. And we also have email eatyourcrustpod at gmail.com. And if you want to catch all of our episodes, then we're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any other podcasting platform. So please feel free to check out our episodes and shoot us a note and let us know that Elise sent you. For any of you out there who feel like they don't belong or that you're different or there is shame attached to who you are, your upbringing, where you came from, let this episode be your guiding compass. I think it was so refreshing to hear what gave Crystal and Jisoo confidence, right? For Jisoo, it was, I surrounded myself with the right people, people who loved me, who enjoyed my company and my personality and who I was and not how I looked. For Crystal, it was understanding herself, knowing who she was, what she likes, and letting that guide her. So know yourself on the inside, surround yourself with the right people in your environment, and that hopefully will help you feel less uncomfortable and will help you feel more cozy in who you are and your environment. And if you like these topics and these guests, please let me know. I'm trying to expand this Craving Food Freedom community and the topics that I cover. So let me know who you want me to bring on next time or the topics that you want to talk about. Feel free to Instagram message me and I will see you soon.